My name is Bill, and it is my honor to um, share in, in, in a big picture the word of the Lord. Let's, let's, uh, before we get started, though, I'd like to ask um, if we could just, just hold off on the collections just for a second. Um, take a moment of silence. Uh, to, tomorrow's Memorial Day. Unlike Veterans Day, where we honor everybody who's ever served in, uh, military for, in our military forces, Memorial Day is when we honor those who did not come home, those who have given their lives in the service of our country. And so I'd like for us all to take a moment of silence, and I'll pray. Lord God, we recognize that we live in a world that is not finished, is not complete, is not the way you ultimately uh, intended it. And yet, you are active and at work. You have given governments, you've given individuals uh, means with which to um, carry out your will. We recognize, Father, sometimes evil does need to be restrained with force. We also recognize, Father, that all of us in our hearts... Um, bear a grave responsibility in how we treat one another as, as image bearers. And so with a collision that is our conflicts and the, uh, the need to, uh, the need to retra- re- restrain evil with violence and the risk that that entails, we pray for all those who have put themselves in harm's way in the service of this country who have given their lives. We pray for their families, that as the time passes, it wouldn't be simply time healing wounds, but it would be you redeeming the role of these people in their lives, their memories living on, their lives changed, but that you would use it to draw people to yourself. Where there is violence, where there is war, where there is displacement, that you would use this, Father. Lives ripped apart, that people would look to you. And where soldiers are serving all over this globe in, in, in deprivation and in fear and in risk and harm and, and loneliness, that you would be with them, that you would be the lifter of their heads, Father. We do honor all those who have given their lives, but we recognize, Father, that man's solutions to how we've messed up your world pale in comparison to the ultimate sacrifice you have made for us. You gave up everything that we could have life in you. And so we thank you, Father, that you didn't abandon this world to its own consequences, that you didn't let us just um, sit in our own mess, but you are active, you are alive, you are using all the means to bring about your good and glorious end. In your name we pray, amen. All right, please uh, please, uh, continue um, with with the collection. Um, uh, Kat, if you could throw up the, the slide real quick, please. Not messing with you. There's no slide. If everyone could hold up their bulletin like this, just in front of their eye, that, that's sort of the low-tech solution. It's a three-part series called Corpus Christi. It simply means the body of Christ. Now, what is the body of Christ? Yeah, us, exactly, exactly. There is a body of Christ. That is God's solidarity with man that forever the Lord, the creator of everything has chosen to permanently identify with us, not just in coming down, living as one of us, tempted in all things yet without sin, weak as we are, all of that, but for all eternity will have a body. That's how invested God is with us. That's how in God is. That is how much he has handcuffed himself to our fate, if you will. He will always have a body. And yet, much of the New Testament says that the reality of this, the presence of God, his body, if you will, on this earth is us. We were created to be his image on this earth, Genesis 1.26. Yes, to do his image, to represent it, to to embody it uh, completely and fully. And and that's that's what it means to be an image bearer. But if we're made in the image and likeness of God, and if God, as much as we can understand him, is relationship then a core part of who we are is relationship with God and with one another. Last week we looked at the body of Christ, a theology of wholeness. How does God rebuild us? What does it mean to walk with the Lord, to have a new life, 
a new hope, a new heart. How are all things new? How are all things different? That's wholeness. All of our lives we spent being broken and breaking ourselves. That's the effects of sin. That's the effects of going our own way. And so the work that God does in knitting us together, wholeness, where we get the word holy, I assume we're pretty much on board with that. If we're here, it might be for a hundred other reasons, guild expectations, tradition, whatever. But at the bottom of this, I believe for us all here, we are seeking the Lord. We do want to know more of this God in our lives, this inscrutable, frustrating, um, overwhelming, wonderful, amazing God who just won't let us be with our lives because he loves us so much. So this time we're looking at Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, the theology of unity. What does it mean to come together? I'm going to back up a bit and illustrate this. Anyone familiar with the, um, William Cameron Townsend or Cam Townsend? Founder of Wycliffe, Summer Institute of Linguistics. You guys all suck. We have a lot of missions education to do. Anyway, this guy founded one of the most tremendous mission organizations. because His belief was simply this. Everybody has a heart language, and they need the word of God in their heart language because it's relational. Um, Lots of people might know a trade language or an indigenous tribe knowing Spanish, and that's okay. That's not a heart language. God's not speaking relationally. Okay, it's being mediated through foreign cultures. And so he, he began translation. Well, his work in Mexico that really made him an advocate for indigenous peoples uh, brought him uh, into contact with the president of Mexico then. This is in the 40s um, quite a bit. And so he's in the waiting room waiting to talk to the president, and somebody comes in, a colleague of his, who's also waiting, and this colleague had been working on this huge project that was going to save Mexico and couldn't wait to talk to the president. And Cam's sitting there, and he's got a head of lettuce in his lap. And, and this guy's going, that's kind of odd. I mean, this is, this is the president. And she says, hey, uh, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm just waiting to see the president. Would you not eat? Why'd you bring the head of lettuce? He says, oh, it's a gift for the president. And so his friend goes berserk on him. He goes, what kind of stupid stereotype do you have of Mexico? I mean, this is, this is a federal democracy. This is, a, this is a, a sovereign nation. This is the president. You know, 140 million people, and you're going to bribe him with a head of lettuce. Why don't you throw in some chiclets while you're at it? I mean, he's just incredulous that, that he thinks he's going to somehow get favors uh, by the president because, ooh, look, we have a head of iceberg lettuce. You've never seen this before. And, and so he goes on to inform him, saying, look, I've studied foreign policy. I speak Spanish. I speak eight other languages. I know Mexican history. I, I've got, got all this. I'm going to go in. This is how you get things done. And you're going to see how, how just insulting this is. And so Cameron did, didn't say much. And um, he let the guy go into his business. And, and he came out. And the guy's just crestfallen. And he says, yeah, let me, let me guess, uh, you, you know an awful lot of facts, but you don't know the president. And he says, no. And so he gets up and he says, you know what? When I had he and his wife over for dinner the other night, she commented on how much she loved my wife's garden, and I love gardening. So I grew, uh, this, this head of lettuce, every time he comes over, he's been looking at it. And so I, um, this is for him, it's a personal gift. Because they had relationship. He wasn't bribing him with something. They had life together. They had trust. He was a personal friend. They knew each other. They, they had each other for dinner. They were president of Mexico, Cam Townsend, looking in the garden and, put, you know, tomato worms and stuff just because it, it was a passion of theirs. They loved it. They, they, they were united. Do you think when Cam went in to talk to his buddy about the plight of the indigenous people, he had a listening ear? And it now are, are we good we're back all right i kind of feel like that old, the old verizon commercial can you hear me now can you hear me now um god does that in my life can you hear me now can you hear me now um anyway back to back to the story relationships are absolutely core we are very very good at handling facts where our minds are made the culture in which we live, the time in which we live. We handle facts really well. And we come to faith of learn about the Lord, read the word, have a quiet time. And and it's facts. And how do we do this? What are we doing right now? Information, information, information. 
The church used to be everything went up to the communion and everything led away from it. And that was the high point. That was the core. It was all about Christ. It was all about the communal relationship, one with another and with God. That was the money. But since the Enlightenment, since the Reformation, since all of these cerebral things happened in history, the, the robes of the priest were replaced with the robes of the academic. And, and so it's all about thinking and manipulating facts and apologetics. These things are awesome and they have their place. This is me. I love this stuff. But in having it as a, such a great strength, it is a great liability and a great weakness because I'm underdeveloped in other areas and, and, and having to, to make up for that. This is where we are as a church. We wield, we handle, we hold up there, we pigeonhole people based on facts. And while the mind is very good for dealing with facts and sorting it out, it is not very good for dealing with relationships. Because people are not facts. People can't be manipulated. You ever try? People can't be controlled. Anyone married? Um, people are not facts. And a huge mistake that we make implicitly is that we think somehow my relationship with God and growing in knowledge of him and my depth in the faith is about knowing more Bible knowledge, knowing more things, knowing more, more, more what mission history, whatever it is. That is a part of it. But it's unto intimacy. Intimacy with God and intimacy one with another. And so a theology community is a lot more demanding and encompassing and immediate than we might think. The evangelical movement has done amazing things in drawing people to God. But one thing it does in insulating is, is this break between um, facts and relationships. Evangelicals across the board say absolutely relationships are important. They're everything that we do. But they're, they're a lower tier with just me, Jesus, and the Bible. You see, because in detaching from organized religion, detaching from uh, authority in a person, authority in tradition, and the authority in the word, evangelical dumb has promoted really just me, Jesus, and the Bible mentality. That really, if you just have your Bible, and it's Jesus in you, and you're just reading, and you're just praying and doing this, you can achieve all that God wants for you in your life. And that is a lie. That is just impossible. It isn't going to happen. You're kidding yourself. It isn't me, Jesus, in the Bible. Why? Because if that was the best way to do it, none of us would be here right now. We wouldn't have a church. We wouldn't be meeting together as individuals. We, God would just download his stuff. Done. But there is something that is absolutely necessary that cannot be accomplished any other way yet in relationship. And God is saying, this relationship is the one with me. In other words, how you relate one to another is exactly how you're relating to me. And we see this throughout scripture. I'm going to come back to that at the end. Being known by others is so much more valuable than what we can know. Being known by others is so much more important, so much more valuable, so much more of our identity than what we can know. We can all know facts. That's great. It hasn't changed us one bit. Knowledge is power. It gives us a position of control. It gives us a position of that's why they're wrong and I don't have to change. And so it's fortress me. Facts, Bible facts, good things, true things. They're all there. I'm using them, and, but I'm misappropriating them in that I'm using them as an end in itself rather than a means to an end. All that God tells us in his word, all that he tells us um, it, you know, through his spirit is simply the sense of the need to get back to how it was with God and with man. Genesis 1. The, the, biggest, the best image that, that God could give Moses to tell us about how it was, was there's no way you're going to understand. It was just, it's post-sin now, there's no way you'll get it. But imagine this, walking in the cool of the day with God. You're just, you're just hanging out. You've got all the time in the world, you're just sharing anything and everything. Nothing's unimportant, nothing's too, too major. You're just there. That's intimacy and fellowship. But what was the last thing in Genesis 2, right before the fall? The man, the woman, naked, not ashamed. No barriers, no walls. Nothing. The relationships were there and that they could be fully known and fully know the other. That was intimacy. They, God could fully know Adam and Eve and they were growing in more fully knowing him. This is the harmony that God built. This is the harmony that we broke. As we came from the dust, we returned to it in our relationships because we try to do it our way.
core part of our createdness, image and trinity, as I said, is you, we are relational. We are in ourselves individually created in the image of God, relational. And you can't be relational alone. Can't. Doesn't work. Uh, we, we can virtualize it by computer, by internet. We can virtualize it by, um, you know, media and, and mental fantasies and, and projection and, and all of this. But none of that's relationship. None of that's relationship. We haven't related to a single person. And, and we can be alone for most of our life and get by with it the way our society is made. But we're not going to be grown in the Lord to the extent that he would want. See, when we fell, this need for connection that we had with God and with one another, this enjoyment of intimacy, of openness, of freedom, that became co-opted where it doesn't begin with me so that love being other-centered can really bless and fill out someone else and vice versa, but it ends with me that the net result of all that you do is to somehow fulfill me. And so my selfishness and sin has, built, has bent all of this around on me, and it's really difficult to even see the value of relationships now other than in terms of how it directly affects me. If it benefits me, it'll be a good relationship. If it doesn't, it's not worth my time. And that's a default setting for all of us. This is why Jesus could say, you love your friends, so what? You, you just have wonderful relationship with your family and friends that you grew up around your whole life. That is great. People that hate me do that. They do it really well. In fact, some of them do a lot better than, than Christians. Um, that's just part of life and, 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 and enjoying the good things that are there. But we all naturally gravitate toward those we like, those we get along, and, and all of that. It's the ones we don't get along with, the ones we don't understand, the ones that are on the periphery. Those are the markers of how we're doing with God. Do we see a need in us to connect? Do we see a need for love to be manifest? It has to be other-centered. It has to be directed toward them. Do we just naturally go with our own inclinations in terms of familiarity, convenience, security, safety, predictability with friends and family that we know because it's safe? Or do we continually put ourselves either in the known relationships we have with deeper intimacy and trust and vulnerability and the relationships that we don't have so well take making the effort to connect? Or does it end with us? Self-care becomes self-interest to the exclusion of others, and that becomes idolatry. As I mentioned before, tech and culture have completely isolated us. It used to be we were dependent on one another, that if you wanted to go to church, you had to get in the wagon with 20 other people and go six miles into town. And so you were together the whole day. If you wanted to get anything done, it was the whole village working something out, dragon attack, I, I, whatever. I don't know however the Middle Ages worked. It's a little fuzzy. Um, but we were dependent on each other for, for survival, and so relationships were a lot more intertwined. But with the technology... And the advances that we've made, we don't have to do any of that. We don't have to. We still need to. We just don't have to. And so we don't. Uh, that we can eye everything. Um, we, you know, it's eye life. Okay, it used to be that it was all interconnected and it was communal. Now it's more and more, and it's only going to be so much more so down the road. We're not even going to recognize this in 10 years. But it's going to be the I, me, everything. And, and what we're looking at is the I church. Do you remember? Um, now, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I didn't, didn't have the... I think in order to um, improve upon last week's attire, you know, I would have had to go into the realm of Elton John duck costume, um, you know. So, so I just got off that train completely. But the point that I was making with that, with that image is that is the default setting for all of us. It's about us, our comfort, our preference, our desires. And where that can really hamstring church, it's also going to hamstring relationships. We all get that. We all understand that. But what I want us to understand is the essential nature of relationships. We pray, God, help me to grow. Help me to forgive more. Help me to be more loving. God, let me seek you. Let me. There is an answer to all of those prayers, and it's the person sitting next to you. Because that's where it's worked out. 
The relationship that God has with us, he is all in. He will forever have a body. He gave up absolutely everything for us. He walks with us, bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things. He wants to fill us to completion with all of him because it's how we're made. It's where we're truly alive. It's what Jesus was referring to when he said springs of ever-living water. Much of my life is bleep, bleep, bleep. Um, or the super soaker experience, you know, mountaintop and God and the rest of it's, you know, just <clears throat> parched. But Jesus said, that's not normal. That's not how I made you. That's not how it should be. It should be with this connection, ever living water that's attractive, that flows out. But where I believe in my life, at least, and I'll just say that, where this hasn't happened to the extent that it could or the extent that it should, is I have not practiced this with y'all to the extent I should. I have not practiced my faith with you all. I can, in the same way as I can watch TV or, 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 um, or, or anything and think I'm relating to a character, I can do that with God. And I am relating to him. But how do I know when I'm not? How do I know when I'm just talking to myself? How do I know when it's my desires? How do I know when I'm not praying that God would bless my plans and he's here to make me what I want to be? How do I know that? All of this is worked out with the one another's because that tests our heart. Is it really about me or is it really about God? Because if it's really about God, it's going to be about others. If it's really about me, it's certainly not going to be about others. And so this is how I know where I really am. This is the float level of my heart. Adding to this difficulty is we just haven't seen too many good models of intimacy in our lives. It's 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 risky. And, and all of us are work in progress, and all of us have pain and, and blind spots and scar tissue. And intimacy, it, when it, it gets scary, and people react in fear through anger. And so when things have gotten too close, or more to the point, where we've been most hurt by people is the people we've been most intimate with. Right? Um, just heard a song. Uh, the, one I, the one you take a bullet for is, for is the one pulling the trigger. Um, that's where we, that's where we feel it. And so when being burned in relationship, not seeing any good models of relationship, certainly the greatest models we could ever see are, are a pale comparison to, to what God would have. It's hard for us to even conceptualize how could this be? How could this level of passion and freedom and transparency, how could this manifest in our midst? How could it manifest with those closest to me more so? i going to do a quick Bible survey. You're going, wait a minute, guys, I didn't crack the word yet. We're going to end in Ephesians like we did last time. We were created as image bearers. It's got to be relational. It is not good for man to be alone. Guess who God, guess who God in, in, um, was hanging out with exclusively, as far as we know, at that time, when he said it's not good for man to be alone? Adam. Adam had complete relationship with God. Zero sin, right? Was Adam completely sinless? At the beginning, you have complete, unhindered fellowship with a holy God? Absolutely. So my goal is if I could only work through these sins and if I could be better at this and, and know God more and surrender and just this. What I'm going for, God is saying, no, that's not enough. That's not going to do it for you. Because he told Adam, you have 100% me and how I made you as a relational being and a physical being. It's not enough just to have me. You need to have people like you. And that's where it's worked out in reality. And the invisible with me takes form and takes substance. And because it becomes a driving factor in our life. And so we need each other. It is not good for any of us to be alone. But the problem is we have these degrees of protection and loneliness and insulation. Some of which we do ourselves. Some of which has been done to us. But we're disconnected. Bible speaks to us powerfully, not because it's just a bunch of do this, don't do that. Very, very small part of the Bible. But it's story. It's narrative. It's poetry. It's people crying out to God because at the end of themselves. It's about people just lost in worship. It's about people so confused, they're not even sure whether killing themselves would be a good idea or not. It's people in every facet of life. And they're pouring themselves out to God and we find our story in their story. And that's what speaks to us. That's what resonates. That's what connects. God fleshes out what is love through people, through relationship. 
God fleshes out what is forgiveness and reconciliation when we have to do that ourselves. God fleshes out. There is a reality which is obtained in Christ alone from before, you know, out, outside of time. And, you know, Christ crucified before the beginning of the world in a sense of taking on the sins of all of mankind, past, present, and future, for all who would believe would have relationship with him. That is done. That is the underlying reality. And that is the fact alone that gives us the relationship with God, that, that, that gives us our hope, that, that enables us to do any of this. But where that is practiced mostly, where that is struggled with, where that's manifest, and where we have a much more realistic sense of how we're doing is with the one another's because of our createdness. This is so awesome. I gave... Uh... I gave you the wrong notes, Pablo, and I've got half a year. This is so, this is great. <laughs> so those listening in Spanish are going to hear the same message again, and those listening in English aren't going to hear the message intended, um, unless Pablo wants to speak really loud and can back translate. Okay, we'll continue with the survey real quick. The covenant. When God said, I am committing myself to you doesn't matter what you do, I'm going to do this. But if you want to be in the fullness of this, go this way. If you just want to totally blow it off, go this way. There's consequences. All of those were in the context of relationship, a fellowship meal with every single covenant, right? Every single covenant where God pledges himself to people in the Bible is made with a meal, right? Except Noah. Okay, we'll, we'll give you Noah. But from Abraham onward, wasn't, wasn't the new covenant in Christ? Wasn't that inaugurated with a meal? Hint, hint, spoiler alert. Okay, good, thanks. Um, why? This is God. I mean, he could just have like this glowing, fiery contract and, the, you know, cherubs and angels and you go up and put your face on it as an imprint to sign it or something. He could do that. But he's like, what's that? That's just stupid. That's just theatrics. When you're struggling with temptation, when you're broken, when, when you're going somewhere to, to get wholeness and it's not going to be me, what's going to do it? Knowing that you got your face stuck in there somewhere where you can be called out for judgment later? No. The fact that God has come down into the very situation in which you're struggling and he entered it through a meal, through fellowship, through sharing. It's total condescension. He comes right down to where we are. That's how much he loves us. Ten Commandments. How many for God and how many for man? Well, if you're Hebrew, it's five and five. If you're um, the rest of us, it's four, four and six. Four, four, they, just, they, they include the Lord, the Lord of God as one as the first commandment. They still have ten. Don't worry about it. It works out. Um, for us, first four deal with God. Last six deal with people. If you read through the law, if you're on that speed reading thing and you get bogged down in like Leviticus and you're just like, oh, if I could just, if I could just get to Joshua where it's some hardcore body count, this is going to be awesome. But man, Leviticus, all of those laws, 90% of them have to do with other people. What you do with other people is what you do with God, is what the entire law says. It's that simple. What you do with other people is what you do with God. The Gentiles blaspheme my name because of you, because you're doing your people wrong, David. Um, and so when people are called out, it's upon this basis. Every prophetic book in the Bible calls people out because of this. You know me, but you don't know me. People draw near to me with their lips. They know facts about me. They can say things. They can repair it back stuff. God, your God is good. God is great. Let's thank him for this food. Amen. Liberty and justice for all. We're good. Um, and this is what people were doing. They were going through the motions because it was familiar and it was easy and it was safe and it was insular and they could control it. And they had a lot of bank and they didn't have to deal with a lot of people. So in Isaiah, in, in Joel, I, all, all, of the, all the prophets, but especially in Hosea. Eighty-nine times it says you have forgotten the knowledge of the Lord, and it's not talking about facts. Eighty-nine times in Hosea. This is Hosea. This is a book where God's saying, guys, <laughs> this is how I'm really feeling about you. I love you, and you're just, being, you're, you're, just, you're chasing after everyone else besides me. And so in this intimate disclosure of God's heart, he's saying, you have forgotten knowledge. You've forgotten relationship of me, and I'm calling you out because of what you do to each other. Every single prophetic book has this, that people, the, the, the issue is people have pulled away from God. Where they're judged is how they're treating one another, relationally. 
Because if one's not happening, the other isn't happening, and vice versa. It's that simple. We're all works in progress, no one more so than me. We get to the New Testament now. New community and faith. God's spirit placed in each of us. We've got 200 each other's, one another's. Uh, Do this, do this, do this, do this. All the working out of our faith, almost all of it has to do with do this to one another. Work this out amongst you. Again, me, Jesus, and the Bible. Because we read it in English and it says you are to do this, you do this, you do that. All right, I'll do this. I love God. I want to follow him. I'll do this. But all the yous are plural. We don't have that in English. 95% of the plurals in script, or of the yous in, in Scripture, Y-O-U, it's plural. It's, um, man, other languages have this. You got it in Spanish, Vesotros. Anyway, um, we don't have it. And so we think with our natural bent and disposition and inclination, it's about us. Me, I do this. If I do this alone, it's enough. But it isn't. All those yous are plural because there's no other way it's going to happen. If you want more God in your life, you've got to work this out with other people. If you want to know and feel God's forgiveness and you're struggling with it, you've got to start forgiving other people. If, if you want to engage in a wholeness of love with intimacy, you've got to start being known by other people. And this is the scariest thing I'm going to say today. The only way forward is to open ourselves up. It's through vulnerability and intimacy. Because in judgment, it comes down to this. Matthew 25. The thoughts and intentions of every heart are going to be revealed. What is that going to be like this virtual ticker tape God's pulling out of my head? Kind of this Harry Potter memory thing. And he's just kind of pulling out all my thoughts and intentions and stringing them up and color coding them. And these are bad intentions and good intentions. No. He's going to go, roll tape. but I'm not going to be able to give commentary on it this time. It's going to be what I did. It's going to be the reality of my life. All my professions of faith, all my special times with God, all all of what compels me and all of that, it's going to be seen, roll tape, how did I treat y'all? How did I work this out with other people? That's the reality. Because the judgment was very simple, old school Keith Green people, what you did and didn't do is the basis of judgment. That's simple. It doesn't say... But I believe the right things. But what if we believe the right things but don't do the right things? Let's go to Matthew 7. Jesus is giving a somber warning. This is after the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about what? (laughs) One another, right? Right? Uh, And he says, there will be, for those of you that don't get this, that don't have ears to hear, that reject it, that will not have the humility that's required of being stripped of yourself and vulnerable and open to others and engaging. For those of you that don't do that, here's a risk category you may or may not be in. There will be many on the final day that will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not... Do all of these great things in your name. Didn't we know all the right facts? Didn't we hate all the right things? I'm being facetious. Um, we, it says they drove demons out. They, they did all of these miracles, all these wonderful things we did in your name, God. And he's going to say this, the most damning thing anyone can ever hear in the universe. I damn you to hell forever. No. He says... Who are you again? I never knew you. I gave absolutely everything for you. I never knew you. I've hoped everything with you. I bore everything. I believed everything. I've wanted the wellspring of life. You never were known by me. Here's the killer. It's not about us knowing others. Because that's still control. That's still about me. That's still my agenda. We need to know others, absolutely. But where it is going to cash out for me, where it has taken, where this is really much more a whole part of my life, is how much am I willing for me to be known by others. That is vulnerability. That is surrender. That is freedom. That is throwing all the agendas out on the table and saying, let's get rid of the bad ones. That, that is an openness where I invite you into my life and you invite me into your lives. Now, there's appropriate boundaries with relationships in all of this. 
Eric and I aren't going to be having the same conversation I'm having with Maria, I hope. Um, but, but, but all of us, with the appropriate degrees in which there are people in our lives, this is where God grows us, and there's no other way. It takes 10,000 hours to get good at something. In other words, 416 days, if you did 24 hours a day, nonstop, no breaks, to practice something. That you would get good, you would be proficient, you would be an instructor, you'd be an expert at it, really good. Be it skiing, guitar playing, hamster macrame, whatever it is that you want to do, you've got to put 10,000 hours in. How many hours do you think we've put into forgiveness? No, seriously, you tally your entire life up and you're forgiving other people. Stuff they did, jacked up stuff that they did, they, they, forgiveness is needed, there, there was an offense. How much of those 10,000 hours to get really good at something have we put in? How about loving people practically? I have feelings of love for people. I would say that I love everyone, um, or at least should. I don't like everyone, but I, but I love everyone. Um, but how much time have I put into actually loving people, loving them? Here's the thing. In marriage counseling, if the other person... Hasn't heard you, you haven't communicated. In Christianity, if the other person, ultimately in the big picture, because sometimes tough love's got to be there, but ultimately in the big picture, if they don't know they've been loved by you, they haven't been loved. And so that's really knowing people, knowing what their needs are, knowing how to love, and being known. But how much time have we put in? I've not come anywhere near 10,000. And so I'm saying, but God, it's all about your love in me and my love in you and, and, and in my head. And I've spent so much of my Christian life putting in time with God's love in my head. But how much time have I actually spent practically at cost, inconvenient, at risk, loving other people? Because that's how my love for God is growing. And if I haven't been doing this, I'm kidding myself saying I'm having all these warm, fuzzy feelings with God. Just me, Jesus, and the Bible. Because I've taken out the main area where God would have us grow from my life, which is other people. God's glory in the church is displayed in a lot of different ways. And I think all of us would say whatever our tradition, whatever our iteration of God's glory is, it's the greatest of God. It's the most of God. So we want God's glory to be manifest. Paul, Paul writes about this. Read from Ephesians last time, we're going to continue because it is just, Ephesians and Colossians are the book about body life, about this is just how we worship God by dealing with one another. So Paul starts in chapter 4. As prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, prisoner of the Lord. So him advocating this and loving people and pouring himself out is kind of cost him. As prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received past tense. You have received this already. It is done. It is yours. You're not going to screw it up, but you could severely under-realize it, okay? Our salvation, Christ has that. But the rest of it, it's up to us. We cooperate with God. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's one. There's one. There is one. The same God that loves you loves the person who you're having the biggest difficulty with. One God. And in order to love him, this has got to be worked out. Now, now, God recognizes that it takes two to tango. He says, as much as it depends on all people, do as much as we can. But I'll be the first one to admit I have so underused this one. I have not done everything that I could to be at peace with all people. And so there's areas of growth. Paul continues. He, he talks about God gifting the church to equip the body. So Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, yada, yada, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature or perfect or whole, any word will do, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
And so the equipping, the building up, the, the alpha course, the confident living, that we're going to go out, we're doing this coffee ministry, different things. All of this is equipping to build up the body. But the goal, that according to God, is unity and not unity of knowledge. Because that word there, it's relationship. We are all working out together as one body of Christ. That each of us individually and corporately would do exactly what God would have us to do here. 14, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves or circumstances, blown here and there by every wind of teaching or craftiness of people or, or any deceit. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every aspect, the mature body of him, Christ, who is the head. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When you've got, when you've got stuff to do like you really don't want to do, how many people procrastinate? Really? I, I, I don't ever get around to procrastinating. I put it off and I procrastinate later. So I'm kind of a second. Um, but then I'm too apathetic to really care. Um, and so I do the stuff that I'm good at, the stuff that I like, the stuff that I'm competent in first before this taking on this thing. of. <sighs> I know I've been doing this in my walk. Because the stuff that I like, that, that resonates, that's easy for me, that's good, it's just, it's in the Word, and it's prayer, and it's God, and, and this is great. And I keep going back there, and we all need to. But where it grows, where it's worked out, where it actually changes demonstrably, is how I practice this with each of you. And if I'm not doing that, I'm just, this is staying in the same place. This is the thing I have difficulty with. Because you guys... You guys are sinners. You smell. And you don't believe like I do. And, and, and you say hurtful things. And you're selfish. And, and you tend to yourself. And, and, and it's not all about me. So I don't like it. But I absolutely need it. I absolutely need it. Let me challenge you with this. All of us are... are arrayed in different parts of our life. Some of us are just living on top of each other with family. Some of us are just, God, I wish I'd meet somebody in the city. Um, some of us have been here for a long time. Some of us just arrived. But what I'm hoping to convey, and again, I, I could have picked one of 200 verses and, 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 and squeezed it. They all say the same thing. I mean, this is just the weight of Scripture. We need to be in community. This isn't community. This is corporate worship. This is great. But this is, this is a lecture. This is a monologue. This is not community. Okay, so coming together, Sunday morning doesn't count. Take that off the list. We need to come together in community where we can be known more and more by those that share, share the same faith and by others as well. But that's just essential for our growth. If you're frustrated where your spiritual life is, if you feel stuck, if you feel where's the power, if you feel it's a rut, if you feel you've painted yourself into a corner, if you feel there's just stuff you're wrestling with and it's the same thing and it's not going away, if you're feeling any of these things, might I suggest this? Where the change happens is where we work this out with people in community. Nothing changes as long as it's just me and God, me and God, me and God. I take nothing away from the absolute power of the Holy Spirit to change, and God does that. But God only does it when he needs to. I taught my kids to tie their shoes. When they couldn't tie their shoes, I'd bend down and tie their shoes for them. But once they learned to tie their shoes, done. I'm not doing it. You know, I might do it as a favor or late or something, like I would for anybody, but they got to do it themselves. And so there's some things God just takes out of our life because it'll never get out of there whatsoever. But there's other things he leaves. And he leaves in there to cast us on one another that we can work out in reality what, what, what we're experiencing um, ultimately with God. In other words, the heavenly reality is made real in our earthly life. We all get that. But where it happens entirely is in relationships. What if getting into heaven was a vote? And it's everybody who knew you decided whether they, they knew Christ in you or not. And that determined whether you get in. How scary would that be? What about the consequences of playing that out anyway? We get into heaven. That's not a worry. 
I don't know, I don't know how many people have looked through um, Revelation and, and kind of all the trajectories that go into that, but we're going to be spending an awful lot of time together. An awful lot of time. Like, you think this sermon's long. Man, now, and I could be accused of preparing you for heaven, and, I, and just by the time, okay? I, fair enough. Shoe fits. But it's all about rubbing off the corners and fitting together that we would be functional in heaven because we're not functional here, okay? God's fixing us. And in order to be functional, it's this stuff that's worked out. You've been faithful in a little, you will be made faithful in a lot. You've been you've given, given responsibility and handled it well in a little, you will be given responsibility over many, over many cities, over many things. There are all metaphors of just saying, look, what we're working with and dealing with here, it's not ending. So we got to get it right. We got to get it right. And there are consequences how well we've been known by others and the quality of how we're able to love and, and, and be free and, and see ourselves with God. And that transcends to eternity. And so, again, the number one thing that we can do, assuming we're in the word, assuming we're praying, all of that, is to be in community, small community relationships where we can be known really known by more and more people appropriately. That's where love happens. That's where, that's where God does his best work. And that's where our love for God is manifest. Each person here needs to be in community. We're busy. We got a lot of commitments. Time is a hard thing to, to, to come by. But guess what? If we're going to prioritize God and growth, the only practical way that's going to be manifest in the long term is deliberately working this out with people. And again, it's not that you know them, because that's still control and all that. It's that they know you. So how is that going to happen this year? How is that going to happen where your growth spiritually is being worked out on this level? Because I guarantee you're going to see exponential growth in this level with God if we're getting this stuff right. But we don't because it's difficult. So if we absolutely need this, and we absolutely don't want it, and, and we're absolutely overcommitted to, to make it happen, how is it going to happen? How are we going to get in each other's lives in meaningful ways where we can be known more and more? Because that's how Christ is going to be known, to others coming in here, to us going out there. We, we do confident living. That's an opportunity. Where you can share. The, the ultimate goal is we've got tables now that are just meeting and meeting and meeting and doing social stuff and praying and hanging out and food. Because they enjoy being in each other's lives. Okay, how do we get that? It could be, it could be small. It could be big. It could be frequently. It could be whatever it is. Whatever works in you to be in a situation where you can be increasingly known. Where you can trust more. Where you have to work out misunderstandings and hurts and all of this. And you have to keep at it and keep at it in its work. And it doesn't count with people whom you already are there. That's a blessing and that's great. And, and, and that's how God is, is working as well. But everyone on the planet does that. That's not Christian. That doesn't require the Holy Spirit. That's just part of life. It's the difficulty where God grows us, where we go beyond ourselves and we need him. We only know what our faith is until we come to the end of our... We don't know what our faith is until we come to the end of ourselves. And we're not going to come to the end of ourselves until we make ourselves vulnerable to others. And that's not going to happen overnight. Trust takes a long time to build. It takes working together. It takes serving together. Some of the best relationships I've had in churches has just been scrubbing floors or mission trips. Or, or just you get to know people in different ways. But how are we deliberately putting ourselves where we can know more people? We can know strangers. All of us were aliens and strangers. Far beyond the hope that was in the people of God. But God at the right time sent his son to draw us to himself. We're no longer aliens and strangers, but we are fellow heirs. We are as intimate, we are as accepted as, as um, God's own son. How we work that out, how we live it out, so it's not just a fact, it's not just a hope, it's something we agree with. But it's a living reality. It is community. So my challenge is this, and ask you next week. Pray about it. Think about it. Look at your life. Look at your schedule. You do not have time for this. You don't. But you've got to make time for it. It is that mission critical. It is that mission critical.
to be known. The last thing I want to hear is, I never knew you. And do you know how I guarantee I haven't deceived myself? Do you know how I guarantee that I'm growing in God? Because I can deceive myself when it's just me, Jesus, and the Bible. I do it really well. Is I put myself out there to others, and I see the content of my heart. I, I serve where it's inconvenient. I, 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 I connect. And it's got to be deliberate, and it's got to be regular. And everything in our world just goes against that. So how are we going to do this and work it out? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray this week you would speak to each of us in familiar ways, in startling ways, in profound ways. And I've presumed an awful lot here. You're working on different things with different people at different times, and that's absolutely what you do best. But show us, Father, where we need to grow, where we need to open ourselves for others, where we need to be vulnerable, where we need to risk. And come to the end of ourselves that we can trust you in the unknown of relationship. And that through strengthening relationships and being known, we're guaranteeing, God, you know us. May we know your delight as we take these steps further, however far we've gone, to embrace more of your heart by embracing the hearts of those whom you love. I'd like to invite deacons forward for communion. No better practical outworking and illustration. Because of what God alone has done in Christ, we're able to be here and work this out. And we share together that reality. This is a fact. We're celebrating a fact. But we acknowledge a relationship. We connect to God. We connect to one another. so we're going to uh, distribute the elements and please hold on to them allow God to speak into your heart and we'll partake together if you are still seeking God and you're just checking out faith this is simply a symbolic way of reminding us because we're distracted it's about Christ it's about Christ our need and that's the beginning of all beautiful things Uh, if you are just wrestling with stuff and, and don't feel like taking it let it pass that's absolutely fine but this is intimacy and communion with God that we would have the same intimacy and communion one with another.
on the night that he was betrayed told the disciples I have so longed for this meeting and he said I call you friends slave doesn't know what his master is doing I'm telling you now 
They had had three and a half years together, good, the bad, the ugly. They had worked it through. He loved them. They were his friends, and they were then able to love. He took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat of this, this you do in remembrance of me, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. finished eating, he took a cup of wine, and after giving thanks, blessing it, he said, in this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. Every time that you drink of this, this you do in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Lord God, Thank you for loving us. Help us to work that out and manifest it by loving others. Lord God, I thank you that you have completely forgiven us. Help us to show the world what this looks like by our forgiveness of others. And in doing so, understanding all the more how much you've forgiven us and how much we're free to love. We thank you, Father, that you have created us as a new community to bring out the very most of you in us, the fullness of life, a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And you created us relational and connected together that we are so much beyond and greater connected in community. Father, where it is difficult, where it is hard, help us to see, Lord, your desire. Help us to see your enabling and the opportunities you bring into place. Let us be bold and pressing forward where it's uncomfortable that we could worship and love you more and show you accurately to a lost and hurting world. Amen. Please pass your cups to the center. So I want to close with a song, and I got to tell you, as we were uh, getting ready for communion, I was just kind of looking at it, at all of y'all, and... and, uh, at the church realizing I'm thankful that I like you guys. I'm thankful that I'm not called to be in community with a bunch of people that, I don't know, aren't likable. But you know what? Um, we have fabulous people here, and I'm excited we get to do this together. Would you stand up with me as we... Um,
that God chose to work through us together. Um, and something that's really going to stick with me, Bill, is when you said that it was in the garden, Adam was already relating with God every day. Can you even imagine what that's like? I, I, I can't, honestly. Just that intimacy of with God face to face, hand in hand walking. And yet God knew that he created us to be with other people too, like-minded with us. And the opportunities that we have to lock arms and, and to do that. I just encourage you, figure out what that is. There's so many good things going on here this summer. What would it be that God would have you do to um, get more involved in others' lives? They can rub off on you. You can rub off on them. It's a good thing. Um, and maybe you need to rub off on someone uh, before the Lord this morning. So I'm going to invite our prayer counselors forward. And they would love to meet with you right up here. Pray with you. Um, lift your requests, your praises before the Lord. Right after the service, they'll do that. If you are newer to Bethel, you want to know a little bit more about maybe how to get plugged in and what's going on here. Um, the couch is right back there in the lobby area called the living room. 10, 15 minutes if you go right there after the service. Um, some people would love to share with you what's going on here. And uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. Maybe do something tomorrow to, to honor those who have given their lives in country, I mean, in service to our country. What an amazing um, way to, to serve. So I hope you guys have a blessed rest of your weekend. So great to be with you this morning and enjoy the sunshine.